You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here is your host, it's Mr. Carl Stebbings. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, you enjoyed yourself there. He enjoys himself at the start of every show. I know. I need Just to get out more, don't I? I need more things to do in my life. <laughs> oh. So, welcome then to episode number 67 mm. of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings, and joining me in my kitchen studio this week is my co-host, Matt. Good morning. Hello there. How are you? I'm all right. Yes, I'm good. Yes, it's it's a, an odd day out there. It I is think an odd it's, day. Considering yes. the weather we had yesterday. I know. It's a rather... I know. I was in my big greenhouse on wheels yesterday. <laughs> no air conditioning in BT? <laughs> no, no, no. Oh. Well, yeah, well, there is. You open the window. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've got the same sort of condition, air conditioning in my van. Yeah, yes. Window. Yeah. <clears throat> no, she's, uh, she, we, had a, we had a little jolly down to Heathrow, me and BT, yesterday. Oh, mm-hmm. You lucky thing. I know, I know. And I hope you were using your Flight Radar 24 app. Um, and, you know, you, so you could see what planes were what. As to be honest with you, no. I was a little bit overexcited about the fact, because they've, they've recently upgraded the coach driver's hut because if anybody's ever been there and you've been there and you're a coach driver you'll know that you you can't just go to the terminal building you have to check in at somewhere called west ramp and that's where all the coaches and everything all are but the hut has had an upgrade which we're all speaking for my species aka the coach driver we're all very excited about because they've not only is there a tv in there now i know i know so i was able to watch wimbledon which was quite exciting Mm. for the two hours that i was waiting for my delayed flight um but also there is air conditioning in there oh I know. So poor BT was left to, to sit in the car park so on her own while I enjoyed it. <laughs> were you picking up 53 people off a plane? I was, yeah. Really? It was actually multiple flights. Oh, um, okay. The, the, group, the, the group that, we, that are, we've been doing work for um, bring students from basically around the world. Mm. So it can be, fr- it's predominantly, because uh, I think the company that is actually German-based, so it's predominantly Germans, but you get a lot of people from France, mm. a lot of people from Spain, some from China, all that kind of thing. So of course, they all convene on these various airports and then you've got to collect them and take them to things so it's multiple flights who do they fly with do you know um, some were with BA, some were, some were with German carrier. Lufthansa? Uh, yes. Mm. Yeah, that's the one. It couldn't come to me immediately. So, I mean, it's just one of those things. And, and I th- uh, the, <clears throat> unfortunately, the flight that was delayed, the last one that I was waiting for... BA? Um, was a BA flight, oh, I'm afraid, yes. British and, Airways. And it should have landed at Terminal 2. And for some reason... It ended up at Terminal 5. So no. what, quite why that happened. We Having an off day. <laughs> yeah. Clearly, yes. So whether he just got to the wrong ramp or whatever, I do not know. But yes, <sighs> indeed, indeed. Well, I had a, I had a nice lesson on uh, Friday afternoon. Mm, mm. Actually, I, no, scrap that. I want to talk about Tuesday. Oh, Tuesday. What, what was Tuesday? Well, y- you had some family visit and you went up in a plane, didn't N- you? No. Well, we were supposed to. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. We were supposed My cousin was back from Australia. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, hello, Stephen Grant. Yeah. Uh, my cousin was back from Australia, and yeah. uh, she uh, she was due to come up with me in the uh, Cessna mm. 170 yeah, yeah. or 172. And um, unfortunately, due to um, a minor issue of a um, slight um, a crack in a seating rail on oh, the no. aircraft, uh, she couldn't uh, fly because Eric is currently being repaired okay. um, before she goes back into service. Oh, no. Uh, because I'd be very thorough. Do oh, no, 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 that's great, obviously. It's just um, a little bit disappointing when you've, you've yeah, it was, rallied your family and friends to... to it was a, such a nice day to fly. Mm, I bet. And we were gutted. But um, she, she, she still sat in um, the Cessna 150 that I learned to fly in mm. Zulu uniform. 
And she see that's what confused me because I, I saw all the pictures and obviously a mutual friend of ours, yeah. Tilly, she was yeah. she was uh, yeah she, she was, was supposed to come with yeah, us. yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. and I, I saw some of the pictures obviously from 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 the airfield and uh, I, I put two and two together and made no, two thousand seven hundred and seventy five by the sound Un- of it. unfortunately <laughs> although I can fly solo I can't I can't take passengers uh, up with me on my own right um, I have to have an instructor with yes, me yes of course and yeah. need four seats and there's of only course. two in the one fifty yes of course uh, yeah. but Hence no needing the different yes yes but we we had at the um, the parachute plane, the Cessna uh, caravan mm. that Stuart uh, flies. Yeah, was Stuart there? No, no. Oh, the plane what? was out there. It looks looks lovely, stunning yeah, as I always. Yeah. Uh, and I, that, I yeah. usually only see the underside of it and the yeah, door. That's it. Yeah, but, but it does. It's not there. <laughs> well, no, it, it's got a shutter on shutter, it. Isn't yeah, it? Yeah, 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 it looks like a garage door that they slide yeah. down for when, it, when it's inclement. No, I know. <laughs> but but you know, they, she she enjoyed sort of seeing my um, your world, my world yeah. as it is. Um, and and yes, yeah, so so Friday I had a yes. Friday I had another uh, lesson. Yeah, and uh, I had a couple of circuits with my instructor. Yeah, and then I had a what I have thirty five minutes solo mm. on my own. I managed Ooh, uh, where'd three you go? circuits. Where'd you go? Where'd you well, go? I, I just kept local. Oh, uh, right. yeah, you kept in the circuit local. So you're a thousand feet um, over the small villages that surround the airfield. Mm. But. Uh, yeah, so it was, I was whirling them and such. Like. I, I will admit, I was slightly rusty as I hadn't flown for nearly a month. Right. Um, oh, I suppose because of house moving. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was slightly rusty. So my mm. first landing wasn't my best. <laughs> um, I'm just glad that the Cessna 150 is built very well. Good, right? Uh, because um, uh, to put it to put it in easy terms. Um, uh, I had a bit of a kangaroo issue oh. on landing. Yes, oh, dear. Yes. Yeah. And it wasn't the petrol's fault. No, no. no. Boing, boing, boing. <laughs> um, yes, but uh, I, got, I got airborne again, and uh, the, the second two uh, landings were, uh, were back on, we're on Back par. on track. Yes, good. But, yeah, that was another, another, another bit of time logged in the book. Good. And yes, yes. So how many hours have you got in the book now? Uh, 22, I think, Ooh, last good. count. Yeah, yeah, 22 hours. But, uh, so what, what's the next target? My, my net, well, the next target for me is to pass my air navigation exam. Ooh, now that sounds um, complicated. Yes, it is very yes. complicated. Uh, and once I've passed my air navigation exam, mm-hmm. I can then fly, uh, have my first solo cross-country flight, Ooh. which will entail me initially flying from um, where we are to Southwold, which Ooh, is lovely. not that far. Lovely. No, the not, not as the crow flies, literally. To back yeah. and back on my own. Yeah. Um, but then it will progress on to a lot further distances cool. down to uh, South End. Wow. Back. Yes. Cool. <laughs> you, say, you, you say that with a grin. It is. It, I'm just saying, my God, am I going to do this? Well, no, 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 no. It's on very, my own. Having known you for as long as I've known you, Carl, it's, that's yeah. very exciting because you are essentially living your dream. Oh, so, blimey, you yes. know, well, a, a part of it, obviously, the real dream would be to even, well, be. Flying a Ryanair flight, frankly, but mm. it's <laughs> yes, yeah, so actually yes, because they're Boeing aircraft. Yes, um, yes yeah, yeah. But, but it was good. It was good flight. I enjoyed yeah. myself, and uh, yeah, log time in the book, and um, it's all yeah, good. It's really all good. good. The numbers help. The numbers yeah. help. Wow. So moving on with Indeed. things. Oh yes, oh yes. Um, We're supposed to be yes. Stories. Yes, it's That's it. Bright country, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. So uh, welcome everyone again. Uh, so it's Sunday, the fifth of July. Yep. Uh, yesterday was the 4th of July, uh, so happy hello, 4th American of July cousins, to all yes. our American uh, people there. I hope you had a great day yesterday. Mm. And the time is just coming up to half past 10 it in is. the morning. Yep. So we're going to kick off the show then, as we do, with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if you're ready, Matt. I am. Let's go. <laughs>
So, kicking off our first news story this week. It is, on... and it's an airport that we've actually mentioned already. Yes, yeah. it, it's on the Telegraph uh, travel site. Mm. Uh, and the headline, Farewell Terminal 1. So, Heathrow Terminal to close after 47 years. So, Heathrow's Terminal 1 building will close, or close this week, uh, 47 years after it was opened by the Queen. The final departure was a British Airways flight to Hanover, appropriate given that the BEA, the forerunner to BEA, uh, British Airways, was uh, the first airline to fly from the terminal. Um, and if you look on the site, there are some mm. photos. Oh, they're fabulous. They're um, wonderful suits, and it's all black very, ties. Very nice yes. black suits with the yes. queen. Queen looking lovely, obviously. Looking lovely, yes. <laughs> One does look lovely. Well, obviously. Now, now I was a bit conclu- confused, because when we were talking before we started the show, as, as I was saying at the start, obviously I was at Heathrow yesterday collecting passengers. You were. And I'm... I was almost convinced until I read this story that they were still coaches going to Terminal 1 to collect passengers. They were ghost coaches. They were possibly ghost coaches, ghost coaches indeed. So I don't know quite what that is. So, I, so I've wikied it anyway. And it says, uh, London Heathrow Terminal was one of five airports at London Heathrow Airport, serving the capital city of London. Terminal 1 closed on the 29th of June 2015. It was only occupied by one world member, British Airways, which operated just 20 flights to nine destinations prior to its closure. Its demolition, which is all a bit, bit strange, its demolition will enable construction of the second phase of the new Terminal 2. Now, what are they going to do? Are we just going to have a Terminal 2, 3, 4 and 5? Or are they going to rename them or renumber them? I don't know. I haven't heard any sort of whispers. No. It'd be interesting to see what they do with the, um, the numbering. It seems a bit bizarre mm. that Terminal 1 no longer exists. <laughs> If you see what I mean, mm. seems a bit strange. I'm sure there are, are good reasons, but anyway, it's a, Terminal One opened in 1968 and was formally opened by the Queen in May 1969. At the time, Terminal One was the biggest short haul terminal of its kind in Western Europe. There we are. It looks quite interesting. I like, like that. I had I had uh, looked through the pictures yesterday on here, mm. and there are some quite nice pictures. Of I, I shall miss going because if you're dropping off in a coach, and it's a very bizarre thing, you have to go up onto a flyover up onto the top to, to alight your passage, rather like you do with uh, Terminal 5, actually, now, where you where dropping off is above and uh, and picking up is sort of underground, if you saw what I mean. But, mm. uh, yes, I, sh- I shall miss going going around that little loop. I don't. I can't, I can't for the life of me think of I've travelled from um, <clears throat> Terminal 1. I don't think I have. I may have done. I can't, my, rem- my I can't remember years. which terminal I flew from. I, I went to uh, Canada, but that was with um, Malaysian Airways, so I would, I'm pretty sure it wouldn't have been Terminal 1, to be fair. Hmm. Couldn't tell you which one it was though. It certainly wasn't Terminal Five because it hadn't been built yet. Yeah. <laughs> That's how long ago I went. That's a new one. <laughs> yes, indeed. So anyway, next on to piece the next of news, story, especially is, for you. Yo, thank you very much. Yes, today once again I am sponsored by Low Cost Airways. Uh, so business Traveller is the uh, is the um, web page and or the website. Sorry, and the headline is Ryanair awarded nine Schiphol slots. Wow, that's yeah. big news. Is it big money? That's one of the hubs, a major hub. Well, that's yeah. true, yes. Ryanair is set to launch flights to Amsterdam to Amsterdam this winter. The Irish low-cost carrier has been awarded nine flight slots at Schiphol Airport, according to Dutch media reports. It has until the 31st of August to confirm whether or not it plans to use all of these slots. In the Netherlands, Ryanair currently operates out of Eindhoven, Maastricht and... Gro- is it Groningen? Groningen? 
Groningen. 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 Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, a, a rival budget airline EasyJet opened a base at the airport earlier this year. Um, and as reported earlier today, EasyJet will add six routes to its Schiphol schedule this winter. That's good. Like I said, Amsterdam, Schiphol Airport is a huge mm. hub. Obviously, yeah. serviced by um, Norwich Airport, mm. our local airport yeah. is... Yeah. Which is why they can call it an international airport. Indeed, but we won't go into that. No, no. Uh, but no, I mean, this is this is. I mean, probably. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if in another two or three months' time, we're we're saying this again that mm. they've got more slots. Right there. Well, um, it's good news because at least at least you can travel to um, Schiphol now, even cheaper, I suppose. Well, yeah. Not the fares alike. But. Well, well, yes, that's true. It's. Uh, it's uh, it's not really it's not really the end of a you know it's say Schiphol is more actually somewhere where you fly to other locations yeah, from, isn't yeah, it? yeah it's not yeah. Uh, mm. it's not known for it and Amsterdam itself uh, people tend to go there for one reason and one reason alone <laughs> what the tulips <laughs> that'll be it yes, yes. yeah the tulips <laughs> <laughs> you like that one <laughs> abort abort <laughs> so the uh, the independent uh, yes. is our next uh, port of call. <laughs> Uh, the independent business uh, site mm. and uh, the headline uh, Euro Wings to line up against Ryanair. Uh, Lufthansa said it wants to use its expanded low cost brand Euro Wings as a platform for European consolidation and it could potentially take off uh, in other Lufthansa units or part owned stakes such as Brussels Airline and Air Dolomiti. The first plane with the new Eurowings branding aimed at price-sensitive leisure tourists will take off from Cologne to the Dominican Republic in November. It will replace the German Wings brand. Ooh. Lufthansa chief executive Carsten Spur said that uh, Europe's airlines needed to be uh, needed to consolidate. Uh, Lufthansa wants to be part of that process and sees Eurowings as the ideal platform, he said. Eurowings is Lufthansa's answer to Ryanair. It will have an Austrian operating license and is not bound by the group's collective labour agreements. <laughs> yeah, very sneaky. Yes. <laughs> so it could be competition. Some uh, some or well, some more competition for Ryanair, I suppose. There really, because um, well, uh, they have got quite a good sized fleet of mm. aircraft. I mean, if they've got the backing of Lufthansa as well, obviously with you know as a low cost part of. Well, anything that helps to keep the cost of flying mm. down, I think, is uh, is something to be applauded, frankly. Oh, definitely, you know, definitely. Good luck with any venture. Mm. On to the next story, then. This is... Um, uh, business sure. Traveller. Oh, Business Traveller site again. This is EasyJet to launch six new routes at Ooh. Schiphol. Ah, you see, we did touch on this briefly. It's actually, Christmas all round. It, it is indeed. EasyJet will add six new routes to its schedule at Amsterdam Schiphol this winter. The low-cost airline, which opened a base at the airport earlier this year, as we mentioned earlier, will operate services from Schiphol to Milan, Lyon, Salzburg, Tel Aviv, uh, Grenoble and Tenerife. On October the 26th, Oh, sorry, that's me pressing the wrong button. Sorry. <laughs> on, the, on October the 26th, the carrier will commence a four times weekly route to Tel Aviv, flying on Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays and Saturdays. The next day, a six times weekly service daily, except on Saturdays, to Milan will launch reports airline, airline route. Net. The other services will operate as follows. Leon begins on December the 17th, four times weekly, Mondays, Thursdays, Fridays and Sundays. Salzburg will begin on the 18th of December, that's three times weekly, Fridays, Saturdays and Sundays. Grenoble, uh, that will begin on the 12th of December, once weekly on Saturdays. And Tenerife that South, that begins on the 15th of December, that will be twice weekly on Tuesdays and Saturdays. EasyJet is also launching 
four new services from Lyon in December. On December the 12th, once weekly routes to London, Southend and Belfast International will commence, both will fly on Saturdays. On December 16th, a twice-weekly service to Naples on Thursdays and Sundays will start, followed by the above-mentioned four-times-weekly Amsterdam-Schiphol operation on December the 17th. Now, I wonder if it's going to be one of those where you could fly to from Norwich. I'm thinking from our point of view, so because they do very regular flights, don't they, to Schiphol from Norwich. Yes. Whether it might be more cost-effective to get somebody to run to Norwich, fly to Schiphol, and then go on to with EasyJet to some of these other locations, yeah, like say be. Tenerife. Mm, it could be. I wonder. But that's, that's definitely that's even more competition now. If, if EasyJet mm. have got some slots, yeah. Ryanair have got some slots. Mm. Cool. Well, it's Ryanair. good news for it's certainly good news for Schiphol. Mm. Not well, that not that they're is. struggling for carriers. No. I dare say. No, no, definitely but, not uh, at all. No, no, indeed. No, it's exciting. Well, as I say, we'll have to watch this space as to whether it makes a difference to. Uh, to our um, prices, prices. I no, think. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I'd be interested to see if it has any impact on perhaps Norwich. Should, perhaps we should have it. We should we should do, go and uh, have a cheap flight to Amsterdam and, and do a live show in Amsterdam. Oh, definitely from yeah. Schiphol. Come from Schiphol. Yeah, right. that would be good. I would be up for that. If we could just wait till silly season is over in the coaching <laughs> yes, world, yeah, that yeah, would be yeah. great. Yeah. So, so any time from August, really. <laughs> okay. Okay. So next uh, news story. Indeed. Uh, I haven't seen this site before. No. Airwaysnews.com. Mm. Uh, mm. And the headline, Virgin Atlantic goes for gold in economy and with Dreamliners. So Virgin Atlantic has been, uh, re- well, has built a reputation for a reimagined uh, sur- uh, surly, surly sexy <laughs> flying experience. Nevertheless, You're right. I know. <laughs> Nevertheless, much of its marketing relies on its premium business class products, and uh, with its in-flight bar, flatbed seating, pajamas on overnight flights, attractive uniforms, and mm. an image that hinges on Flyboy founder Richard Branson, it's certainly well deserved. Uh, however, the majority of the airline's passengers do not enjoy many of those features. That's because you all sit in economy. Indeed. Uh, although there is no doubt uh, their interest in choosing Virgin can be traced to, uh, to this dependable hip image. What is unique, however, is the lengths that the carrier is going to improve its economy class cabin. New to Virgin Atlantic is the uh, its intent joint, oh, intense joint venture partnership with Delta Airlines across the Atlantic, which gives the airline shared access to the U.S. carrier's revenue opportunity and route network. Cross-fleeting was quick to follow the announcement with Delta taking over routes from Virgin Atlantic on flights from LAX and Philadelphia. Mm. Virgin has reciprocated with its operation of flights from Atlanta and Detroit. Mm. Nice picture there of that uh, business class. Mm. Very country, yes. Um, With uh, the Dreamliner, Virgin Atlantic is already seeing many of its customers specifically book their travel on flights operated by the new aircraft, I would. Mm. uh, air, the uh, air, well, airline joined the or the airway. Oh, blimey! Their grammar here is terrible. <laughs> Airways joined the airline for the launch of its JFK Dreamliner flight. Numerous passengers planned their travel to fly on the seven eight seven instead of the numerous seven four seven four hundred flights also operating that day. Uh, Virgin is going one step further to put the fun back into flying for economy passengers. This revamp is not only for the passengers on board the airline's new Dreamliner, but also uh, passengers in its economy cabin. The joint venture with Delta is sure to have uh, played a role in harmonising of products between the two carriers 
and passengers are the immediate beneficiaries of small but notable upgrades on board. Upon boarding, all passengers uh, like on partner Delta and competitor Swiss International receive a full-size bottle of water. Following extensive surveys of passengers, it became clear that flyers wanted more um, control about staying on hydrated at their own pace, says Head of Customer Experience Debbie Hulme. Complimentary cocktails, beer and wine ooh, blimey, <laughs> are now offered in a pre-lunch or dinner cocktail service mm. and again during an after-the-meal service. In a move more customer-friendly, uh, thanks to passengers or the passenger surveys, the airline is switching from pouring glasses of wine or mixing cocktails on the cart to offering splits of wine and minis of cocktails to passengers. New features of the economy class dining service include hot towels prior to the meal and a cheese and cracker course mm. served as part of the main tray now service. Now you're talking. <laughs> I'm feeling hungry now. Mm. Uh, the simple and inexpensive act of offering a hot towel before a meal in economy class goes a long way to making passengers feel special and cared for, says Chris McGuinness, founder of TravelSkills.com. I'm surprised more airlines don't do this. Well, Emirates do. Mm. After dinner, chocolates will accompany the uh, coffee and tea service followed, uh, following dinner. Pre-arrival meals on daytime flights will include a new selection of gourmet wraps. Mm. Uh, these little extras are part of what will uh, what uh, add to the Virgin experience. Premium, uh, premium economy customers get, uh, get a boost too. The Dreamliner aircraft are the first to be equipped with the new Wonderwall concept, featuring a small refrigerator and buffet of snacks and drinks. It is located at the front of the cabin and is designed as a compact social space similar to the concept of the upper class bar, albeit with a bartender, for guests to commune or snack at their leisure. Huh. Wow. Uh, to take advantage of this uh, uh, <laughs> the selfie craze, mm. uh, Verge is launching a new campaign dubbed the Ultimate Sky High Selfie on its new Dreamliner 787 aircraft, offering customers the opportunity to check in on Facebook and share their photos from 35,000 feet. Hmm, <laughs> I don't know about that. Mm. Mind you, the, that interior does look lovely. Look at that, look, with the, uh, the mood lighting there in economy. Mm. It definitely looks very nice. Interior. They look spacious. Yeah, yeah, the, Somehow, the cabins don't know, do the, look the, very the, spacious. The seats look very sort of spacious. I prefer that particular view, which is the one in business class. Mm. <laughs> but also, also because the Dreamliner has those extra large size windows, mm. I think helps to give that air of... Space. space and things, yeah. yeah. But yeah. Uh, no, their economy seating does look very nice on version. It certainly does. Perhaps if any of uh, any of our listeners mm. listening have had the pleasure of mm. uh, flying with Virgin in economy or premium or even business class, yeah. uh, perhaps you could uh, drop us a line and tell us your experiences Definitely. of uh, of that uh, service. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, on to the next story. This is on uh, Channel News Asia of, of all sites, and they're covering a Ryanair story, which is Ryanair to allow... Greek customers to pay cash. Ooh. Okay. Europe's largest low-cost carrier, Ryanair, will allow Greek customers to pay with cash after capital controls can caused problems with credit card payments on its website. Dublin, Europe's... Uh, uh, so in Dublin, so Europe's largest low-cost carrier, Ryanair, will allow Greek customers to pay with cash after capital controls cause problems with credit card payments on its site. The imposition... 
uh, of capital controls on Sunday evening means that uh, Greeks are no longer able to purchase goods or services from many big international online suppliers, including Google, Apple and Facebook. The Irish airline, which operates out of 11 airports in Greece, said that in a statement it was experiencing high rates of decline on their credit and debit cards. Ryanair has now provided the option for Greeks looking to travel to buy their plane tickets in cash at the Ryanair ticket desk desk at its airports, the statement has said. Now that's kind of all very well, but... You need to draw the cash out first to go and pay well, in cash. Well, yes, this, this <laughs> they is... They can't do that. This is the issue. Um, and is... I suppose, it, I suppose a euro is worth a euro, isn't it? Well, even, even if it's even if even if the country that they're they're in is mm. experiencing difficulty, the euro is still worth what it's worth. I guess one forty one. Is it is it one forty one? Look at you it's, with all your it's really your regular notion. I know. Well, it's only because I looked last night yeah. actually, but the euro at the moment is quite good. Mm. The exchange rate, but which um, surprises me given given what's going, going on, on in Greece, in Greece yeah. and things. Yeah. Um, although the Germans have gone to great lengths to to stress that the euro. Zone has almost been protected by mm. what I think somebody accidentally described as the inevitable collapse of Greece. <laughs> so, okay. mm. it'll be interesting to see what will happen anyway. But yeah. I mean, it's nice that Ryanair is allowing people to pay by cash, I suppose. Yeah, I, I don't know if I. Well. At least you skip the charges. Because you, you, when you pay by credit card, mm. you get a, a credit card fee, don't you? With oh, that? there'll be a don't be ridiculous. There'll be an administration fee in there somewhere. They won't just do it for free. We've had to handle your cash. That'll yes. be five pounds. <laughs> Absolutely. We've yeah. had we've had to buy a till. Mm. That'll be forty pounds. Yes. Well, no, it'll probably be like a five pound administration fee because obviously they've got uh. to then take it to their bank wherever it is that they pay it in. <laughs> what, what their pockets? Well, yeah. mm. is it Mister O'Leary's? Um, yes, it's um, got bar. a big safe somewhere big safe. at the back, yeah, of, yeah, back exactly. of his HQ. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh dear. dear, I know. So, next story on the Mail Online site and. Um, this one popped up on uh, Facebook feed, actually, I think. Oh, did it? Yes. And uh, it's quite an interesting story. I don't know if you saw this one, Matt. No, I haven't. No. I haven't. So the headline uh, is Ryan Hare. Ryan Hare. Hare. Yeah. yeah. Hare. So Prince William calls a stir in cattle class after flying budget airline to Scotland for his air ambulance training. No, really? Yes. Uh, so, <laughs> Good man. Good man. Bravo. So when uh, when Ryanair passengers boarded the noon flight from Stansted to Glasgow, they found themselves in rather esteemed company. For taking his seat alongside them on the budget airline was Prince William, the thirty-three-year-old princess of oh, princess sorry, <laughs> prince. Oh. <laughs> Prince, that's it. Straight to the town for you. I know, I know. We'll cle- we'll leave that one in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stephen Grant will love that. Oh, no. like, I can hear Grant laughing now all the way from Australia. Oh, dear, oh, dear. So the 33-year-old <laughs> prince was travelling to Scotland. Oh, perhaps he had Your Majesty, I am so sorry. <laughs> the 33-year-old prince was travelling to Scotland from his Norfolk home mm-hmm. near man. us. Good yes. man. Uh, as part of his training to fly with the East Anglian Air Ambulance. Mm. And um, the prince wearing glasses and casually dressed in a navy blue jumper, pale shirt and trousers was believed to have been accompanied by only one bodyguard during the uh, flight last month. It has been revealed that uh, day- days earlier that William took a helicopter from Highgrove to Windsor only 90 minutes by car to attend an evening event 
marking the 800th anniversary of the Magna Carta. Prince William took unpaid leave in April following the first phase of his training with the East Anglian Air Ambulance to spend time with his new daughter. He had previously served in the Royal Air Force and most recently uh, as uh, search and rescue pilot. In late May, it was reported how he was uh, in the closing stages of his training to be a pilot with the air ambulance team, enabling him to take up a new role transporting patients to hospital. Well, I think that's quite nice. I think it's a brilliant story. And and, and again, it doesn't surprise me in any way, shape or form because um he well both him and his brother strike me as like the most down to earth d- despite their background i yeah, mean where, where yeah. let's be honest i mean it is it's a background like you or i could never imagine i'm quite sure um but i just i just like the fact that that he's not afraid to sort of do it you know like the rest of us do you know what i mean do you notice though how the picture shows him um he's obviously going to be seated in the front row well i think which, that's only which right. is which is extra legroom seat so i i hope he's paid the yeah um, but he's i'm quite sure that the uh, cuz i'm sure that's a business plus uh, well you never so. know you see cuz they might not have known if i if if <laughs> you know quite often with these things especially if he's only travelling with one bodyguard quite it is highly possible that um, his alias, you know, it may just have said, you know, William, whatever. I don't know officially. William what Wallace. Yeah, or, or something. Well, no, maybe not. No, no, no. You're, you're, you're going, well, all, going, you're going all. You're going all Braveheart on me. He was Stop going it. to Scotland. Stop it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't actually know what on his actual birth certificate. I don't actually know what what his surname would be. Um, Presume it because does it say on his passport that it's the you know his, his I don't know you know the, the, his royal highness the Prince William I don't know but I mean what a flight that would be it'd be great mm. wouldn't it you know oh we were on a Ryanair flight oh yes oh yeah um, mm. yeah yeah Prince William was on there yeah oh really yeah. Oh, okay. I think the trouble is is I don't think anybody would believe you no no or someone obviously snapped a photo here mm. although he does look rather um, cross cross <laughs> by probably, the fact he's probably had his be, photo taken yeah yeah. Well. No, I say good on him. Good on him. That's what I say. And you know, he's he's got to go to Scotland to go and finish off his training. And then you training, then you just. I wonder whether he had a hot coffee or a tea. Or a tea. Yes. (laughs) I wonder if he enjoyed one of their fabulous warm sandwiches. (laughs) I would hope not. Oh dear, brilliant, excellent story. I I don't know if I'd have the guts to serve one of those manky sandwiches to him, frankly, because he's just thinking if if I've done this wrong, I'm going to poison. The next king of England and Wales and Scotland and Ireland. And- I'm, I'm fairly <laughs> confident he had a tea. You're fairly confident he had tea? Yes. Uh, if actually, you are on the that coffee flight. is much nicer. <laughs> actually, yes, because they've changed their they coffee have. supply. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. It's this fancy thing where it's all sort of, you, you, you drink it through a strainer, which sounds terrifying, but the coffee, it's one of the nicest like co- hot coffees I've had out of an mm. airport ever. I mean, it really mm, works. Is it Lavanza? Lavanza or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. I'm a bit of a royalist, as you can probably I tell. Very royal. Indeed, indeed. Uh, anyway, on to the next story. This is Business Traveller, and the headlight is EasyJet Unveil's new iPhone app. EasyJet has relaunched its iPhone app with new features, including a countdown to travel. A countdown to travel? What's the point in that? Uh, to get excited about sorry, it. Sorry, really? <laughs> but you're flying with EasyJet. Why would you be? No. Uh, the redesigned app also allows passengers to check, it, to check details such as their payment and passport information, while relevant flight information will seamlessly appear on the homepage on the day of travel. A statement said, bags, sports equipment, seats, hotels, and car hire can also be quickly added to an existing booking, as 
well as a range of helpful push notifications to relevant travel. This app is expected to be available for Android later this year, EasyJet has also said. The budget airline first launched its iPhone app back in 2011. In April, it added an update to the app, providing personalised instructions and reminders for passengers travelling through London Gatwick. James Millett, EasyJet's head of digital, said launching our new app is another important step in using digital technology to improve our customers' experience and to make it as easy to travel with EasyJet as it is affordable. I'm glad it's coming to Android because I was a bit worried that all these features that they... Because, mm. I mean, they, they've been steadily upgrading the app over the last few months, haven't they? And I sort of, at least once a month we have a, we've had a story about, about said app but it's the first time they've actually mentioned it's definitely coming to android now which i'm very pleased about why do they always start these apps off on our on uh, on i iphone the, before android the long and the the sad truth about it mm. is basically more customers use it oh, okay sadly uh it, it, the the iphone base is ridiculous the, the the amount of people who are using ios versions i think it's what was it originally version five six and above sorry um, is is insane. So, uh, yeah, and unfortunately, as much as I wish it wasn't the case, it's outstripping Android at this current time. But as popularity of the of the overpriced iPhone wanes a bit, yeah. I think we could see a shift in in, in another direction. But um, at least it is at least coming to the app is Android. coming to Android Good. now. Which I'll is keep great. my eyes open for that mm, one because yeah. we, we're flying with the EasyJet in September. September. Hmm. So it'd be interesting to see if they've got the lowering app on our, Android lo- by then. <laughs> lowering our standards a bit, aren't we, Carl? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> what happened to Emirates? <laughs> and we're only going to Malta. Oh, okay. All right. But we're flying back with Air Malta. Oh, right. Well, 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 there we are. But we, well, I've, got some good, I've got some great news on the, the Malta Air Show Have coming you? up later on in the show. Because oh, yeah. Yeah. you're actually going to attend that. I you? am, yes. 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 <laughs> your poor wife. Full media access for the whole day. Your poor wife. Oh, she's going to sit by the pool. Yeah, I don't blame her. <laughs> Next story on the business traveller site. Mm-hmm. And uh, the headline, Qatar Airways to end A319 All Business London Heathrow Service. So Qatar Airways are going to remove their A319 Airbus uh, aircraft all business class service from its London Heathrow route later this year. The Gulf carrier currently operates six daily flights between its Doha hub and London Heathrow. From October the 25th, the airline will replace its premium service A319, which flies daily as QR015 and 016, and was launched last year with a Boeing 787-8 Dreamliner, uh, reports airlinerroutes.net. The five remaining daily flights will continue as before. Qatar Airways told Business Traveller that reports one of its two daily A380 services will be downgraded to an A33300 are incorrect. Um, This just shows that uh, the all-business thing obviously doesn't, isn't that profitable to have an aircraft mm. that is completely entirely all business class? I mean, I remember covering um, this story. You need to fill that aircraft. Yeah, I, I remember when we covered this story, and I think we said at the time there that I mean, great idea, but I, I you know, it's been it, tried many times. Yeah, oh yeah, and yeah. there is a reason why you tend to have two classes. If you mm. sort of not not because of anything else, but you, you know, the, the long and the short of it is, as long as you fill up. Um, as long as you fill up the economy class, it doesn't really matter how many business travellers you've you've got. If you like, you, you, your 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 flight has made its money. If you sort of mean, 
but because uh, there was a there was a company in the UK called Silverjet many years ago. Right, used to operate from Stansted, uh-huh. and they had a seven six seven quite right. a wide body, big yeah. aircraft, and that was an all business class. Um, used to really? go to the states, yeah, and they event they didn't last very long. They eventually right. uh, ceased operations. But, mm. um, but no, the the, the 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 thing is, is it, it is business class is expensive. Mm. And I, I, if I had a cho- if I could, if money wasn't an object, I would have no problems flying. I would be quite happily be flying in business class because it is an amazing experience. And I mean, uh, goodness only knows what first class class is like. But um, you know, the sad fact business is, business class is awesome. But we don't. But you know, as much as that is that that is the ideal to travel by business class, you just can't justify can't that it, kind. I know, I know. Well, it's not even that. You That's can't you justify that. Well, there is that. Yes, I know, but that won't work on every flight. I know, I know. I try. Trust me, I try. <laughs> I can imagine. Anyway, on to the next story. This is on flightglobal.com, and the headline is TransAsia probe or TransAsia probe indicates crew should have aborted takeoff plots. Oh. Uh, pilots of an ill-fated TransAsia Airways ATR 72-600 should have aborted its departure from uh, Tapai uh, Songsan Airport after noting that a power control system had not armed. Uh, investigators have in- indicated flight GE-235 crashed into the Keelung River shortly after takeoff when the crew inadvertently reduced power from its healthy left-hand engine instead of the right-hand engine, which uh, was ex- exhibiting problems. Uh, Taiwanese investigators have disclosed that the aircraft's automatic takeoff power control system had not initially been armed when the turboprop began its departure roll. The system provides automatic support, uh, including up trim and auto feathering, in the event of an engine failure during takeoff. Investigators probing the fatal fourth of February crash, citing uh, flight recorder data, state that the monitoring um, that the monitoring pilot in the right-hand cockpit seat declared that the ATPCS was not armed about four seconds into takeoff roll. In an interview w- uh, with the inquiry team, a TransAsia crew training supervisor said that the ATR seventy-two six hundred pilots should abort takeoff if the ATPCS is not armed during the roll. And that is that, and that this point was emphasised during pilot training. This requirement to abort is based on there being several procedures to be carried out if the ATPCS is not armed, which are unsuitable to perform during the takeoff run. But the inquiry points out that this policy of aborting is not clearly described in any manuals and notices uh, notice to flight crew. Uh, the situation is further complicated by a policy allowing pilots of ATR 72-500s faced with the same issue to continue the takeoff under certain conditions. TransAsia's flight GE-235 commanding pilot acknowledged the unarmed ATPCS callout but opted to proceed with the takeoff roll. Just after the standard 70 knot speed, the monitoring pilot exclaimed that the ATPCS had uh, become armed Therefore, uh, before the ATR became airborne just a few seconds later. Some 34 seconds into the climb, the ATPCS appears to have commanded an uptrim to the left-hand engine to increase its power and started auto-feathering the right-hand engine. These actions are the ATPS system's um, normal response 
to a developing problem in the right power plant. Apologies for that read. Um, I was having to sort of edit it as I went along because the, the grammar and everything was pretty bad on that. So apologies for that. But you get the gist of the story. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it, was a, it was a terrible crash. You know, mm. there was dash cams from a car that, was, that caught oh, the Oh, yes, yes, I remember. Um, I remember seeing as the video. Bri- yeah. the bridge and yeah. then went into That's to a it. river. Um, it's worth noting as well, just just reading up uh, on the re- reports on the aircraft. Mm. I mean, the aircraft involved was an ATR seventy two. Yeah. Um, first flew in on the twenty eighth of March two thousand and four. Yeah. Um, it was delivered to TransAsia Airways on the fifteenth of April two thousand and fourteen. On the fifteenth of April, mm. and on the nineteenth of April, both the Pratt and Whitney Canada PW one two seven M engines were replaced right. due to technical issues. Ooh. So it, it, the airline had only just received the aircraft and it, ha- it had uh, both its engines replaced just after it had right. been delivered. Gosh. But uh, it was, I think they have they've, they've put it down to pilot error, which is uh, the Which is always very crash. sad, yeah. Mm. Well, there we are. I mean, th- this information needs to be put into the, um, into the flight manual as well then, doesn't it? Mm. Not just uh, in pilot briefing. So moving on. Mm. And uh, Flight Global again, and the headline, uh, Flight Deck Doors Highlight the Safety Security Dilemma. So safety and security have long uh, formed a a comforting alternative pairing in airline circles, which uh, disguises the fact that they're not necessarily the same thing. While a police officer might suggest you fit a lock to your door uh, for security, a firefighter could advise you to remove it for safety. Mm. It's a problem that is uh, irrecons- ir- oh, that's a big irreconcilable. Word. Yes, it that one, and is most fundamental level, which is why there can only be uh, no there can be no simple one size fits all solution mm. to cockpit protection. Indeed, before the events of nine eleven, security and safety had typically been separate: security on the ground, safety in the air. But when the armoured cockpit door was hastily ushered in to defend against uh, enemy without uh, it, or without the flight deck, become vulnerable to enemies within. Not audacious publicly or publicly publicly seeking hijackers, publicity seeking mm. hijackers, but the cliff edge mind states of pilots harbouring undetected psychological pressures. Indeed, when the German wings flight nine five two five disintegrated in southern France Valley in March, the once clear cut logic behind the secure cockpit door, already strained by the LAM crash in Nambia, uh, the Ethiopian diversion to Geneva, uh, and perhaps even the loss of Malaysian Airlines MH three seventy shattered with it. Europe's Aviation Safety Authority has uh, set itself the task of picking up the pieces and examining whether, post-German wings, the reasoning behind the flight deck barrier still holds when a door is not a door. Mm. I mean, I'm quite happy that there's a a very strong uh, door separating us from the flight deck. But Um, I I do think there should be a way to open... Uh, when when you look at the you know the German mm. wings flight obviously and the yeah. fact that the pilot had just gone to the I mean maybe the solution there is to somehow engineer the the have a, um, have a the secret button somewhere well even even not that I mean because the reason why the you know this particular pilot was left on his own was because the other top pilot had gone to the toilet because mm. it was a long flight but there are they had, the rules did change though didn't they after that crash there's got to be someone uh, take over one of the um, cabin staff take over. Mm. On the flight deck now, yeah. when when one of the uh, pilots leave, the can, can they not just sort of make it? You know, I suppose it's taking up too much space, and just put a toilet in there. <laughs> that would actually, you funny I mean, you that, say that, that would be a really good idea. That would be a very simple solution yeah. to the problem. Mm. Although you've still got the issue, I suppose, in the fact that the I guess you wouldn't 
put a lock on it, I guess. That's the only other way around it. Otherwise, you know, this particular individual yeah. could have barricaded him in there and he still couldn't get it. But then I guess if you've only got, you know, a, a partition wall to kick your way out of um, before he puts it into a mountain, then mm. I don't know. I, 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 I don't, I, I, I agree with this story. I know, I know you, you, you've got mixed feelings about it. Yeah, but, I'm kind um, of, yeah. But I, 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 I do think, um, I, I, I do think it's a real dilemma. I genuinely, I agree with this story. I, I'm not sure. Mm. I'm not sure that cockpit did it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I, I really don't I, know. Personally, for me, I, I wish that the, the wish that they'd let us do the um, what we used to do many years ago. Oh, where you go and sit on, the, go flight and sit deck. on the flight yeah, deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those yeah. days, I sorely miss. I yes, do. I bet. Yes, but you can understand why why that's a, 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 an issue now. Um, it's just a, a, I think a, 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 a sign of very sad times, really, isn't it? I have, I've spoken to uh, Captain Chef before. Oh yes, over at the airline pilot guy podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he said to me before that you know he does miss the days of um, of having you know the, the children and stuff come up to the flight mm. deck and uh, oh it's a know, once in a I mean oh, I've done it I yeah, have done it yeah. and and it, it is an image that, that will stay with me forever mm. uh, because the view is something else isn't it I mean it really is something else I know yes. the view from his side of the cockpit door indeed oh. anyway on to our final story then this is also flight global and the headline is Vietnam Airways signs with Airbus for A350 flight hour services Vietnam Airlines has signed an agreement with Airbus for the manufacturer uh, to provide flight hour services on its fleet of Airbus 350-900 aircraft. The state-owned carrier is the first operator to pick the Airbus service in a deal which will run for 12 years. This includes providing line-replaceable units and guaranteed spare parts availability, says Airbus. Uh, flight hour services for our A350 fleet are an extremely important facilitator for our A350's uh, entry into service, says the airline's president and chief executive Pam Nok Nim. Airbus has demonstrated a consistently qu- a consistently high quality service on our fleet. Therefore, it uh, when it came to the A350, we are building on Airbus's commitment and ability to pre- ensure the highest performance of our A350 operations from day one. Vietnam Airlines received its first A350-900 aircraft on the 30th of June and has orders for 13 additional jets. Yeah, just yeah, just actually just looking on Wikipedia mm. at, at uh, Vietnam Airlines, they've got they've got actually got uh, a kind of half and half mixed fleet. They've got uh, Airbus products and Boeing, right? And in the middle, they've got uh, an ATR-72-5. Mm. Uh, they've got 16 of those. Um, but they've got triple Who makes sevens. the ATR then? That's uh, ATR. God, you put me on the spot now. Sorry. It's a, it's an Ital- I'm sure it's an Italian company. I, it's it? one of those aircraft that I don't generally um, follow all that because I'm more into my big jets, you know. Me. Are you? Um, Matt will massively yes, find yes, out quickly he now. Is, he is. But yeah, Vietnam Airlines, they've got, uh, they've got Airbus A321s, uh, A330s. They've obviously got their first A350 with 13 on order. Oh, ACR are the actual manufacturer. Oh, right, okay. And they're based in, I'm sure, is it Italian? Uh, the listeners are uh, going. Toulouse. It was yes. Toulouse, France. Yes, Sorry, yes, France. Yes. yes. <laughs> You've got people Forgive screaming me. at their head recording devices. <laughs> well God, I'm learning to fly. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's it's a heavy process. Yes. 
yes. they've got they've got triple sevens as well, two hundreds, and they've also got nineteen seven eight seven dash nines on order as well. Mm. Um, Vietnam, because they just recently remember they just recently changed their paint scheme yes. to that lovely colour. In your defence, ATR is actually a French Italian. Oh, there we go. There you are. You see, so oh. it's all right. It's all good. Yes, <laughs> but I mean they're a massively popular aircraft in mm. there as well. But um, so there we go, and we have. God, that's the end of this. That's the last story, it, wasn't it? It was, yes. Yeah, it was the last story. And uh, just looking out the window now, Matt. Chucking it down. And it's rain. chucking it down. I, know, I can see in the window behind you. Oh. Yes. It is probably. I'm glad I didn't. I nearly came on my bike. I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to leave that part of the show then. And me and Matt are going to have a quick tea break. Yeah. Uh, still to come, obviously, we've got the military section. And then closely followed by that, we have another fabulous segment from Pilot Pip. Quite excited about this one because he's telling us how we got into flying. So I'm looking forward to giving that a good listen myself. So it is time. Let's get that kettle on. We'll be back after this. Aviation media has long been the domain of the newspapers and magazines. Well, not anymore. I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran, and we're bringing aviation right into your radio. Yes, we're making aviation cool and interesting for everyone. Hang on. Aviation's always been cool. Check this out. How cool is this? Grant, Grant, turn that down. Here at Plane Crazy Down Under, we've got pilots, engineers, air traffic controllers, industry leaders, even politicians dropping by to talk to us about the amazing world of aviation right here in Australia and occasionally in New Zealand as well. Wow, that's cooler than I thought, mate. Find us at planecrazydownunder.com, on iTunes, or lurking about on other people's podcasts just like this one. We've got crazy accents and lots of great aviation content. And we promise not to talk about the cricket. No, never. Not the cricket. Quack, 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 quack. <laughs> what is cricket anyhow? Something we win a lot. Oh, there oh. we <laughs> And we're back. We are. Suitably refreshed. Yes, nice cup of tea. Nice Still of chucking tea. it down with rain yes, here in sunny Bungie. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, a lot, it's, it's just for some, funny how different the weather's changed. Yeah. You know, yesterday it was blue sky. It was so hot. It was just ridiculous. Mm. Mm. And uh, you, know, you know why, don't you? It's because I've put my shorts on. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm wearing a, a fascinating shorts and t-shirt combo, um, which seems to have had a horrific effect on the UK's weather. So I'm very sorry to everyone who was hoping for a nice barbecue today. It's entirely my fault. I I'm did sorry. actually at the, at the wedding at the wedding I done last night. I mm. did warn the guests halfway through the night that uh, I, I came out with the "Has everyone been enjoying the weather?" and it's like, "Yay! Uh. It's going to be rubbish tomorrow." Why? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. pre-warning them. Well, that's very good of you. Yes, yes. I see yes, it as a, as a service I'm providing. <laughs> it's a very public service of you. Well done. <laughs> so we have got a splattering of military aviation have, news. Yeah. Yeah, not many stories this week. Not many stories. We've got, what have we got? Uh, six stories this week? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Six stories. And as Matt said, we have got a segment from Pip. Mm. So uh, we're going to kick off then with the military news. So are you ready to go? Yes. Let's go. Thanks for that. <laughs> Always a pleasure, never a chore. Right, so Fly Global, <laughs> first story on Fly Global. And this is one for Stephen Grant over at the PCDU studio. Uh, first, RAAF C-29J arrives in Australia. 
So the first of ten Alenia C27. C27. You said 29. Did I say 29? You I'm did sorry. bad man. C27. Bad man. Oh, that's a joke. <laughs> no. Okay. Sorry. Uh, tactical transports for the Royal Australian Air Force has arrived in the country. This acquisition represents a commitment to Australia's air power capability, which is a critical element of Australia's national security and defence strategy, said Air Marshal Jeff Brown, head of the RAAF. The C-27J will strengthen the Australia Defence Force's airlift capability by increasing our ability to move troops, equipment and supplies. The aircraft will complement the capabilities of the Lockheed Martin C-130J Hercules (laughs) and the Boeing C-17A Globemaster, love that aircraft, Mm. and will be able to carry medium-sized loads and access uh, smaller runways that are not suited to other aircraft. Initial operational capability for the RAAF's C-27Js is planned for late 2016. The RAAF's second, third and fourth examples are in Waco, Texas, where L-3, which converts green aircraft to the joint cargo aircraft configuration, is providing crew and maintenance training. The work takes three months and involves the fitting of an electronic warfare and infrared countermeasure suite. U.S. standard communications equipment and ballistic matting around the cockpit and loadmaster station. Wow. In May 2012, Australia placed an order for 10 C-27Js, though the foreign military says FMS program, or FMS program, the FMS stands for, I expect Steve knows that, Paul Grant knows that. Foreign military sales. Asset, foreign military sales. There we go. Thank you, Matt. (laughs) The C-27J succeeds the de Havilland Canada DHC-4 Caribou aircraft under the AIR 8000 Phase 2 requirement. Although popular with the RAAF, the uh, obolescent Caribou was retired in 2009. The C-27J's rival for the requirement was the Airbus military C-295. One concern with the Caribou had been its uh, inability to operate in all but the most permissible airspace. Mm. And we've got a lovely shot there. Um, of the C-27J. It's a big old beast, isn't it? It's awesome. The, the, the cockpit looks very, mm. very good on that. The, the actual design of the uh, windows and everything on there look awesome. <laughs> it's kind of, it kind of looks like a, a sort of mini A400M, mm. the one we feature on here quite a lot, the yeah. Airbus 400M. It's kind of small scale downsize uh, version of that. Um, <laughs> but uh, it'd, be, it'd be kind of nice if the Australians brought one of these to Riyadh, but you know, we right. can't, can't ask for everything. No, I just love the fact that every time you read a story that's got the word lock Lockheed Martin it, there's a grin that goes from one end of your face yeah, to another. Just a Lockheed, I know. <laughs> Never mind. Anyway, on to the next story. This is Flight Global as well, and the headline is Airbus beats Boeing in South Korean tanker competition. Airbus Defence and Space this week added South Korea to its growing list of A330 multi-role tanker transport operators after the nation down-selected the tanker type over Boeing's KC-46A Pegasus and Israel Israel's aerospace industry 767-based design. South Korea's Defense Acquisition Program administration announced the selection decision on, 30, on the 30th of June, citing the performance and price of the European tanker over the US and Israeli alternatives. The $1.26 billion KCX program aims to deliver four tankers by 2019, and the selection of Airbus is an important victory for the company as it looks to an upcoming Japanese tanker competition. 
Boeing had expressed confidence before the decision, touting estimates that the KC-46A um, it is uh, developing for the US Air Force will cost 25% less to own and operate over its life cycle compared with the A330 MRTT. Despite being a more expensive aircraft up front, However, Airbus offers a much larger aircraft compared to the 767-based KC-46A and it can carry 111 tonnes, that's 245,000 pounds of fuel and up to 300 troops. This contract will also allow Airbus Defence and Space to establish a long-term and sustainable cooperation with the Korean industry, says company spokeswoman Maggie Bergsma. We will carry out our contractual obligations faithfully and are looking forward to exec- executing this program in a timely and efficient way as we have done with other A330 MRTT contracts. The decision means that the A330 MRTT has won every tanker competition outside the United States since it entered the market and has now been selected by nine nations plus the European Defence Agency. The decision to go with a European supplier shows that South Korea is prepared to break from the tradition of buying American military hardware following multi-billion dollar commitments last year to to procure the Lockheed Martin F-35 Joint Strike Fighter and three Northrop Grumman RQ-4 Global Hawk unmanned air vehicles. Whilst we are disappointed with this decision, we remain committed to our partnerships in Korea, says Boeing spokesman Chick Ramey. Boeing's KC-46 program is running behind schedule and is yet to conduct the first full-up KC-46A tanker flight. The first 767-2C engineering and manufacturing development aircraft recently flew an airworthiness test fitted with a boom and wing aerial refueling pod. Still, Boeing can claim the largest base customer, uh, the US Air Force, with 176 orders expected initially and potentially up to 400 as the aging KC-135 is retired. Meanwhile, Airbus already has 35 solid orders on its books from six countries and has developed, developed more than 24 aircraft to date. The tanker has also been selected by India, six aircraft, and Qatar, that's two. Uh, France is boosting boosting its tanker order to 12 and the European Defence Agency is exploring options to acquire several aircraft that will be operated jointly. One of Boeing's biggest selling points was uh, interoperability with the US fleet. The KC-46 will be certified to refuel more than 64 receiver types at little or no cost to the foreign customer, Boeing says. However, Korea uh, is not alone in the Pacific. The uh, Royal Australia Air Force, um, sorry, the Royal Australia Air Air Force, which operates Super Hornets and soon F-35As, was the tanker type's uh, launch customer and is already completed, uh, has already completed several refueling certification. Singapore has also ordered six aircraft and in Europe and in the Middle East, uh, Korea would dovetail on the established MRTT programs of the UK, France, Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. I was just looking on uh, on the net at the specs mm. between the two aircraft. Mm. You've just been, you've, yeah. you've, you've got the K46C yeah. and the A330MRTT mm. and the um, Actual, I was looking at the difference between the two, and that the Boeing is actually uh, can carry a lot more, a lot more, yeah. Um, but the only different, the only difference 
that the Airbus has on the Boeing is that the Airbus has uh, slightly more range mm. uh, in distance. Range. I think it all, I think if I'm honest, I'm reading between the lines of that that article. I think one of the things that that the Koreans are, are concerned about is Boeing is already behind on its back order mm. of, of planes. They're they're not delivering them on time, and uh, maybe punctuality is a is a, a reason why they've chosen Airbus, perhaps. Yeah, it, it says, I mean, on the Wikipedia site, they're mm. saying that um, Boeing has got it penned in as 2018 planned yeah. introduce, introduction into service. Yeah. but Maybe, um, maybe the Koreans don't want to wait that long. Hmm. No? Got Who to knows? You, keep your customers happy. You have indeed, yes. Anyway. So next story, yeah. uh, on the flight level, the RAAF orders uh, two additional KC-30A tankers. So the Royal Australian Air Force will obtain an additional pair of Airbus Defence and Space KC-30A multi-role tanker transports. We covered, we covered this in the previous story. Yeah. The two additional aircraft which are based on the A330-200 airline will bring Australia's fleet of the type to seven aircraft when they're delivered in 2018. Uh, the MR, the MRTT, the A330, is uh, designated uh, the KC-30A in Australian service. The two aircraft are to be converted, to, or to, uh, the yeah, two aircraft to be converted are now in service with Qantas Airways. Cool. Cause I think we covered a story that mm. Qantas were retiring their 767s. That's right. um, and, or the A330s as well. Mm. Uh, the new aircraft will be covered uh, under the update to Canberra's current acquisition for the contract with Airbus, and the cost of the deal is pegged at $408 million, uh, Australian dollars. Uh, the Australian deal comes shortly after two major wins for the A330 program. Uh, China's state aviation regulators signed a tentative deal for up to 75 A330s, a general agreement for 45 aircraft and a memorandum of understanding for 30. And, and as Matt covered, South Korean announced uh, that it had uh, down-selected the A330 MRTT mm. over the Boeing KC-46A Pegasus for a four-aircraft requirement. Mm. Love that photo on this story. It is cracking one, uh, isn't that it? That is yeah. awesome. They, um, that one, the... The dovetail one there. We've seen. Mm. I've seen that one at, uh, at Riyadh last year. Refueling in the air just is so cool. I mean, I it's so the cool. most uh, the most sort of alien thing that you'll ever see, isn't it? Really. I mean, the very fact that they, I mean they have to by definition fly so close together, don't they? I mean, it's just uh, it's it's a it's a, a, a marvel of the of the modern world. Isn't I it? I want the job of the chap who took the photo. <laughs> in the yeah. in the chase plane, yeah, I mean, yeah. what a job to to, yeah, to yeah. actually take aerial photography of of aircraft mm. refueling like that. Yeah, I think cool. I think there may be a bit of a queue for that job. Probably is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh dear. Anyway, on to the next story. This is Flight Global again, and it's NHI works to address blade flap rotor head issue. NH Industries is working to deliver a solution to an issue with the main rotor head on the NH ninety military helicopters. That means the blades can impact the tail structure whoa can impact the it can impact the the tail structure when starting or stopping the rotors during high winds although the problem emerged in the media over the past week following tests with Australia's MRH90 uh, Typen feet. This phenomenon has also been experienced by other operators. The NH90, in common with other rotorcraft, is fitted with stops on the rotor hub, which prevent excessive blade flapping during low RPM operations. As the disc spins up, centrifugal force causes the stops to automatically move into a position, allowing the blades to move freely for flight. 
However, it appears that in some conditions, the stops remain jammed in their initial position as rotors start and are consistently damaged by the vertical movement of the blades. NHI says, NHI, sorry, says all, although the instances of damage are a problem, they don't by themselves represent an immediate airworthiness issue. Really? Surely. It, when you, if you've ever seen a helicopter, especially one of the, mm. a large transport one uh, yeah. like like the, like the NH ninety, yeah. if you watch when the aircraft rotors stop rotating, there is a mm. slight bend. Oh yes, no, I get that. Side. It's just the, think, the fact that it's coming into uh, to contact with the with the tail fin and that, and they're saying that that's not an immediate issue. They don't they <laughs> they don't by themselves represent an immediate airworthiness issue. Surely, if it's come into contact with the fuselage of the uh, the aircraft, I would beg to differ. Surely. Even if it's the lightest skim, it was a bit of paint, a bit of paint <laughs> yeah, transfer. Absolutely. The yeah. NH ninety then, yeah. Uh, first flew eighteenth of December nineteen ninety five. Mm. Introduced into service in two thousand seven. Mm. Uh, primary users being the French Army, Italian Army, the Australian Defence Force, and the Finnish Army. Mm. Uh, there's been two hundred built of the type, and if you want to buy one. Um, yeah. one that doesn't have flappy rotors. Uh, <laughs> it'll cost you around about $32.5 million. Wow. Yeah, to buy well, of these two instances in, in, in direct mention, it's Australia's Air Defence Department says that its MRH-90s have twice experienced this particular problem, which resulted in the main rotor head damage. In both cases, the rotorcraft were embarked on Royal Australian Navy vessels. Um, and so it could have been perhaps the camper of the ship as well, maybe. Mm. If it was, well, wind, yeah. you know, you've yeah. got all that wind uh, there as well. The HMAS success in 2014 and in, in March this year during flight trials aboard the service's new helicopter landing dock. The second incident resulted in minor aircraft damage, which is currently under investigation, it says, while noting that the 11-tonne class MRH-90 continues to operate from other Navy ships. Hmm. Definitely needs to be uh, resolved, that one, I think. Or just keep the rotors spinning all the time. Right, yeah. There's a slight, slight sort of fuel economy <laughs> issue there, perhaps. <laughs> I don't know, really. Next story, Flight Global again. Yep. Uh, Russian helicopters plans comeback for amphibious MI-14. Russian he- oh, oh, what, what an awesome picture. <laughs> what a horrible paint job that is. Russian helicopters uh, is evaluating restarting assembly of the MIL MI-14 amphibious helicopter, which has been out of production since the mid-1980s. Based on the long-running 13-ton MI-8 platform, the uh, variant gains a sealed streamlined hull and side float containing sponsons, along with a number of other modifications to make it suitable for operating on water. Cool. The company sees potential for a modernised version of the helicopter, which was manufactured between 1973 and 1986 to be sold to both military and civilian operators. However, it will wait for customer demand to materialise before recommencing production, it says. Flight Global's Ascend Fleet's database records 44 MI-14s as being active uh, in active service globally. Operators including uh, Georgia's Ar- or Georgia Army, the Polish Naval Air Arm and the Syrian Air Force. A uh, single civilian example configured for utility and firefighting missions is owned by the UAE-based AAL Group and is currently uh, in storage, reveals Ascend. The latest iteration of the heavy twin-engined MI-8 is powered by Kimov TV3-117 VM turboshafts 
rated at 2,200 horsepower each. Good Lord. And and the, I should just explain, the paint job that I'm referring to is they've made the front of this particular helicopter. I, it, look, well, it looks more like a piranha. I think it looks like it, because I suppose it's the play on the fact that it's amphibious and it can land yeah. on the water. It just reminds me of that horrific film, um, the piranha fish in 3D or whatever it was, where they eat you alive and things. It, it looks, uh, it's really menacing. It's, it's sort of a cross between the, the fish out of the Simpsons with the three eyes. And, uh, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, it's great. Make sure you look this up. This up. The picture is worth a look. It's the Mill MI-14. Yeah, the MI-14. Yeah, you must have a look at it. It's quite cool. <laughs> the aircraft, um, Originally, the original role of the aircraft, the helicopter, mm. uh, was an anti-submarine helicopter, mm. and uh, and introduced into service a year before we were born, nineteen seventy-five. Yeah, um, and there was two hundred and thirty of those built. But um, yeah, look at that one on Flight Global site. Interesting picture. Indeed. Anyway, on to the last story. This is on the Royal Air Force's website, Woo-hoo. and the headline is, uh, well, it's basically a picture um, story, so uh, make sure you look this up on the website. Carl will put it on the Facebook page as we speak. And the headline is, RAF Coningsby photographer, uh, SAC Hannah Beavers, Beavers was? I'm not really sure how to pronounce that, so apologies if I got that right. Anyway, Hannah is her first name. Recently given the chance to fly in a typhoon, one of the aircraft types based at RAF Coningsby. On Monday the 22nd of June, I was lucky enough to have my first fast jet flight in a typhoon as part of my role as RAF photographer. Now that's a job you want, RAF photographer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will sometimes be tasked with uh, tasked to take air-to-air images as well as the engineering jobs we are given by the squadrons. I was a bit apprehensive about being airsick, but really wanted the opportunity to experience flying in a frontline fast jet. My pilot was Flight Lieutenant. Helen Seymour, uh, one of the air crew based on 29R Squadron, uh, the squadron training frontline pilots to fully equip uh, current and future Typhoon squadrons. RAF Coningsby in Lincolnshire is the Royal Air Force's Southern Typhoon main operating base, securing the nation's airspace every minute of every single day. Our sortie was a refueling trip to the Voyager aircraft based at RAF Bryce Norton, and I was able to get some great shots of this process taking place. I'm really grateful to Flight Lieutenant Seymour and the squadron for allowing me this opportunity. I also am also really pleased I wasn't ill. And as I say, Carl is now putting these pictures on the Facebook page for you because it's done. It, they are some cracking pictures here where, and it's the refueling again, which we covered in a previous story. It is just, it's a marvel to behold. It really is. It's a big, a big old refueling plane, much bigger than the jet that it's, that it's, that it's topping up. No, the typhoon, yeah, the <laughs> yeah, typhoon yeah. is dwarfed by it. It is very but, much so. Um, anyway, that's the end of the military section. Time now, as always, for a regular segment from the legend that is Pilot Pip. As we mentioned earlier, he's talking about uh, how he got into flying. So uh, let's give that a listen, shall we, Carl? Yeah, let's go. And now it's time to visit the cockpit and join the man who puts the S in safe. It's the plane safety from the flight deck segment with Captain Pip. Hello everyone, Pilot Pip here. Now, I didn't think I was going to get a segment out to you this week. I just wasn't going to have time, but the wife and kids have popped out to the shop, so I've got a brief 20 minutes in which to record and edit a little segment. 
Now, the trouble is I hadn't really thought about what I might talk about. So just off the top of my head, I thought what I'd do is just tell you briefly about how I got into aviation and how I got a commercial pilot's license and how I ended up where I am today. Maybe you find that interesting. And it all started off for me, as it did for most pilots, uh, at quite a young age. As a kid, probably seven, eight, nine years old, I was very interested in aviation. I used to collect all the little plastic airfix models and do them up. They were mostly awful, although I must say over the years I got uh, pretty good at them. I uh, once won first prize in an aero modelling competition. But I got into it at quite a young age. I remember on a family holiday in probably around the mid-80s, my grandfather took us up in a, or paid for us to be taken up in a Cessna 172. There's myself, my father, and my grandfather, and the pilot. And I remember the pilot saying, he needs someone to sit in the front to act as the co-pilot. And as a 10-year-old boy, I said, oh, no, not me, not me. I was terrified. But my grandfather encouraged me. He said, yeah, God, you, you sit in the front. You should sit in the front. So I did, and it was fantastic. I remember I was hooked, just fantastic. And also as a kid, when you could still do this kind of thing, going up into the cockpit and just being amazed at all the, the buttons and all the lights and the dials, and it blew me away. But I was hooked. I joined as a teenager, the uh, 13 years old, joined the Air Training Corps, which is a wonderful organization we have here in the UK. I'm sure they have equivalents uh, in many other countries, but I, certainly in the Commonwealth countries, the Air Training Corps is a, a well-known fixture. And this is it's a branch of the RAF. It's run by RAF Reserve Officers, and it aims to take kids 13 up to 18. It's kind of like the Boy Scouts. It takes them through and you do... You learn about aviation-related things. You do um, academic subjects like meteorology and flight planning. But, of course, there's also a lot of adventure activities, so sports, uh, outdoor pursuits, mountaineering, camping, and also flying. They take you gliding and powered flying. So I've got many trips in a chipmunk aircraft, single-engine piston, doing air experience flights. Now, I wish I'd realised back then the value of free flying because I would have taken a lot more advantage of it than I, than I did. But it was also through the uh, Air Training Corps, the Air Cadets, that I got my first solo flight, which is in a glider. At about the age of 16, I applied for and was lucky enough to be granted a basic gliding scholarship. And this was just a short course, a week long or so, it got you up to solo standard in a glider. So my first solo flight was at 16 in a glider, and I remember that like it was yesterday. Just fantastic. Just doing a few circuits at RAF Syaston up near Nottingham in, a, I think it was a Viking glider. A little after that, I was also awarded a, a flying scholarship to be completed up at Dundee Aviation up in Scotland. Now, ultimately, what I ended up doing instead was joining the University Air Squadron. So this was when I was about 18 years old. Before I completed the flying scholarship, I joined the University Air Squadron flying their Bulldog aircraft. And the, Air, the University Air Squadron, it's, as part of that, you become a, a, a reservist cadet pilot. So I was part of the RF reserves for a short time. And you start off doing the first stage of military flying training. So uh, basic aerobatics, formation flying, low-level navigation. And that was a lot of fun. Um, again, had I realized the value of free flying training, I would have taken way more advantage than I did but you know I was 18 19 years old to be honest with you a bit naive and a bit uh, a bit immature and I was suddenly university where there were other distractions like cheap beer and cheap women and uh, so um, regrettably I didn't put as much effort into the flying with the air squadron as I as I would have liked to have done looking back on it now but anyway it was still a wonderful experience now it was always my aim to join the Royal Air Force 
having passed the medical selection at least two times before, once for the Flying Scholarship and once for the University Air Squadron, I was somewhat miffed, in fact I would say totally devastated, when after having graduated university I went to join the Air Force and I failed the medical on an eyesight uh, technicality, a colour vision thing. Now there's a long story there, but it's something to do with Eurofighter coming in at the time, this is around 99-2000, they had changed the requirements for colour vision and uh, I fell slightly short of the line. So I was somewhat gutted, to say the least. I then, well, I needed some money. I needed a job. I'd finished university. Couldn't sponge off the parents too much any longer. So I drifted into the wonderful, fascinating world of investment banking. It really isn't fascinating or exciting. Uh, that was very much by accident. A friend got me a job, a temp job, which turned into a permanent job. And I hated it. I hated it. But it did have its benefits, which I'll tell you about in a second. Now, around about the same time, somebody, I forget who, somebody said to me, um, oh, why don't, you, why don't you get a civilian license and become an airline pilot? And I thought, huh, well, I don't really know anything about that. So I took myself down to the CAA medical headquarters at Gatwick Airport and did the eyesight portion of the, the medical uh, and was very pleased to be told that, as far as they're concerned, I was 100% fine for a Class 1 medical, which is what you need to get a, a commercial pilot's license. So I sat down and uh, took a long time to think it over, weigh up the pros and cons. I gave it a good long think. And probably after maybe two, even three seconds of thinking about it, I said, yep, that's what I want to do. That's for me. So there I was embarking on the very long and expensive process of getting a commercial pilot's license with the aim of getting a job. So the first thing to do was to go off and get a PPL, private pilot's license. Now this is a little bit convoluted for me because I already had uh, a fair few hours logged already. So I didn't have to do the full 45 hours course. So uh, anyway, I took myself off and got uh, a PPL, which is a lot of fun. And then following that, to start on the commercial part of the course, you needed to build your hours. I think it's something like 180 hours, if memory serves, that you need. So having got my PPL, I had something like 50 hours. So I needed another 100, 130, something like that. Now, of course, as you all know, flying is an expensive business. What I did, I bought myself a share in a Cessna 150, a little two-seat aeroplane. I bought myself a share in a Cessna based down at Shoreham Airport on the south coast. I was living in South London, uh, so it wasn't too far to go. And I remember the aircraft very well. Lovely little Cessna, Golf Bravo Papa Alpha X-Ray. Perfect for flying uh, building hours. It was very cheap. I think I bought the share for about, a one-twelfth share it was for about £1,500. And then the flying after that, well, we paid a monthly contribution. I think we paid around £50 per month for 12 of us, which covered insurance and parking at Shoreham, this kind of thing. And then we just paid for the petrol every time we flew, which worked out around 30 to 40 pounds an hour. So in theory, that was a, a wonderfully cheap way of building hours. And in practice, it was, although I did have, or as a group, we had a few incidences which uh, hiked up the, the bill somewhat. We had to have a, a brand new engine put in, uh, which was about 15,000 pounds, again, split between the 12 of us, so it's not too bad. And we also had to have a new wing when one of the members, very clever chap he was, managed to have half the wings sliced off on the ground at Shoreham Airport by another aircraft taxiing through, and it cut the wing off with his propeller. Whole nother story, but again, that cost us probably around £15,000 to get fixed. So all in all, 
it was still a pretty affordable way of building hours, but it was wonderful. I used to go perhaps after work, go down and fly a few circuits just before the sun set over the summer or take it away at the weekends, go down on a Saturday morning and, and fly around. I used to occasionally take friends and family as well. And we'd do, I don't know, we'd go and fly around looking at all the castles of South England, for instance, or we'd go off and see if we could find the world's best bacon sandwich, uh, which incidentally at the time was at Stapleford Aerodrome. So if you're ever at Stapleford, they do awesome bacon sandwiches. So having then built the hours, I could then start on the theory part of the commercial course. There's 14 exams you have to pass from meteorology, air law, uh, instruments, human factors, uh, navigation, all kinds of exams. There's a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. Now, if you do it full time, you could probably do it in a year. Of course, I was still working full time in London in the investment banking world. Uh, but the one advantage, as I said earlier, of the investment banking world, it paid for a, someone in their early 20s. It paid a reasonably good salary. So I was able to take some of that money, use it for flying, use it for paying for the, the theory training. So over the course of probably about two years, I studied for in my lunch breaks after work on the bus, had my manuals out and was studying for the exams. And I was pretty well prepared, so I was able to pass all of those exams first time around. You split them into two lots. You do seven lots, uh, seven exams, then you uh, study for and, and sit the other seven exams. So that took, I suppose, about two years. Another of the advantages of working in London in a job that I hated, and I mean this, I hated it. It was, it was making me ill, the routine, the repetitiveness. But I used to work, funnily enough, just by London City Airport, so I'd sit there in uh, by the window each day doing my mind-numbingly boring job watching everyone coming in and out to London City thinking oh I could be doing that that should be me so it really motivated me to study hard and pass those exams um, which of course eventually I, I did so from then having passed the the theory exams it was then time to go and do the the flying element the CPL course which actually is a reasonably short course I think it's about 30 hours of flying training on a single engine aircraft, like a, a, a Piper Arrow, which is a PA-28 with retractable gear and a, a wobbly prop. Uh, so I did that, and again, uh, this was at Stapleford Aerodrome, Stapleford Flight Centre, very good flight school. I can heartily recommend them. So passed that the first time around as well. And honestly, the CPL wasn't too difficult. It's just basically the, the same syllabus as the PPL, but examined to higher, more rigorous standards. But the tricky bit came next, that's the instrument rating. And this is the instrument rating you know, uh, that allows you to fly IFR in cloud in all sorts of weather. And this was a 50-hour course. It was roughly 50-50, 25 hours in a simulator and 25 hours in the aircraft. And this is in a multi-engine aircraft as well. So I also, I forgot to say, immediately following the CPL, I did the short five-hour course, the multi-engine course, to learn to fly twin-engine aircraft. So I did this 50-hour instrument rating. I must say that I f that was pretty difficult. Yeah, that really you really needed to focus a lot on what you were doing. It was quite tricky. We used to there were no instrument approaches at Stapleford, so we used to do the very short ten minute flight across to South End and shoot the ILS or the NDB approach there. And that was quite hard, I must say. And so that all culminated in the instrument rating skills test. This is a two hour flight test with a CAA examiner. And I got to tell you, people, that was the most stressful two hours I think I've ever had in my life. I was concentrating like mad not to forget anything. And honestly, I thought I'd failed it fairly on, on the flight. I made some pretty, 
well, not big errors, but I made some very noticeable errors. And I thought to myself, oh, my God, there's no way this guy's going to pass me. I remember one of them, we took off, uh, the test was out of Cranfield, going to Cambridge. So I took off out of Cranfield, followed a, a standard instrument departure. And I, was, I can't remember what I was doing. I was fiddling with the GPS or something, and I managed to miss entirely one of the turning points, one of the waypoints en route. I went past it by like three miles. And eventually the examiner said something like, um, weren't you meant to turn back there? And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. So I got us back on track. And then we shot the uh, ILS down to minimums at Cambridge. And then we went off and you do some aerial work, some um, you know limited panel stuff, uh, some general handling. Then back to Cranfield to do some more instrument approaches, this time an NDB, a timed NDB, mind you, not an NDB DME, but a timed MDB uh, approach, which is quite tricky. So again, I did this approach. It seemed to be going fairly well. And then we got down to minimums at about 300 feet or something. And the because you can't see out the windows, you have all these screens placed in the windows. So the examiner pulled the the screen away and said, "Okay, uh, are you going to land off this?" And I looked around and I couldn't see the runway initially. And I looked over my right shoulder, and actually it was like 30 degrees off to my right. And I thought, "Wow, how did that happen?" And just for a second, this was a I think the one decision that saved me. Just for a second, I was going to say, "Okay, let's do it," and bank hard right and get onto the center line. But luckily. Uh, that little common sense bell went up in my head and I said, no, let's let's make a missed approach and we'll go around and start again. And he said, OK, good decision. So that's what we did. And I think that saved me. Now, actually, what it was, the uh, the approach, I flew well. I flew it with a needle centered. But the uh, it turns out the, the instrument, the uh, ADF instrument was a little bit off. So not my fault, strictly. I flew the thing as accurately as I was meant to. It just the instrumentation let me down a bit. Anyway, so I went round and we flew the approach again. And we landed, and I thought, oh, I don't know if this is going to have worked. I don't know if I'm going to have passed. So we went inside and debriefed. And, of course, he picked up on the point that I'd missed a few items. I'd uh, neglected to use the checklist properly. Um, but he said, overall, there was nothing um, There was nothing huge. There was no big mistake. So consider it a, what we call a PWAB, which is a pass with a thinking. I'm sure the Brits will know what I mean. Uh, so that was that. I was then officially have a CPL with instrument rating, which we colloquially call a frozen ATPL. Following that, I then had to just go off to be ready for employment with an airline. I had to go off and do something called an MCC course, a multi-crew cooperation course. And this is a quite a basic thing. It's mostly in the classroom, a little bit of simulator work as well. But it's just looking at how we fly together as a two-man crew because, of course, everything up until this point have been single pilots. So just go off. It's just a week's course, or maybe two weeks, I forget now. Just looking at some situations and practicing a little bit in the simulator how to fly it as part of a two-man crew. And there I was. Pilot Pip, official CPL, ready for employment. Now, getting a job, that's a whole other story. And just about every bit as hard as actually getting the CPL in the first place. But maybe I'll talk about that in another segment. But there we go. That's how I got to from zero hours, from a young boy, to being ready to be employed by an airline with a frozen ATPL. Hopefully see some of you guys at Riyadh in a couple of weeks. But for now, back to Carlos and Matt in the studio. Take it away, boys. Uh, <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Oh, Come it. on then, I've got to ask you the question. How did you get into aviation then? What, what? I mean, I know you've been obsessed with it since birth. How do I get? What's your first actual like memory of of loving planes and all that kind of thing? 
it was it's, it was probably it's, it all stems from just going on holiday as as a right. child. I was lu- I was lucky, yeah, that I did have an, a, quite a few holidays abroad as a child. Cool. When I was young, and it was just the fly, whole flying, getting on a on a passenger aircraft right. thing was so amazing. And it just sort of stemmed from and that. it just stemmed from there. Yeah. And now I just find myself all the time as soon as I hear a plane, I'm I'm rushing outside to see what it is. Flight radar, and <laughs> and, um, and and I just love it's just it's just awesome. Mm. You know, it is absolutely awesome. It's not, you know, not to everyone's, you know, price things. It's not no, cheap, no, 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 not by a no. long stretch. No. But I always tell anyone who's um, who's vaguely interested in flying, mm. you know, for the for the sake of in, in the UK, we're saying here because yeah. it's obviously where we are. You know, for the sake of 110, 120 quid, yeah. you know, go to an air club mm. and um, have a have a trial flight. Have a trial flight, yeah. Because it is awesome. Yeah. It's awesome just to sit there and um, just to see see what the world is like. So at, when did you have your first feet. trial flight then? When oh was that? Oh, 2000 and... Uh, it was a while ago then. I have to get my logbook going. Yeah. yeah I think it was, <laughs> um, 2004, I think it was. God. I think it was 2004. Yeah, it was right. quite a few years ago. Yeah. And that was, that was it. Just uh, hooked, hooked <laughs> yeah. from there on in. Yeah. Oh dear. Sorry, I had to ask the question. In an ideal world, if yes. I didn't have to work and right. I had pots of money, yes. I'd just fly every day. Well, as like, weather would permit. Permit, yes. Unfortunately, you need the pots of money to, to do that. Yeah, yeah, you definitely do. <laughs> so need you definitely need the job bit to, to then yeah. be able to do that, which is, I suppose gets in the way of enjoying oneself. Yeah. Well, there we are. It's, it's, not, it's not just the flying bit, but just the, yeah. whole, the whole atmosphere at the air club, especially where I learned to fly. Yeah. Everyone, you know, everyone it's a, it's a lovely there. little it's, airfield, it's just isn't it? Such yeah. a good community. Mm. Everyone is really, you know, Friendly always chatty and, stuff, yeah. and flat. And even the guys mm. who fly in from afar and, um, you know, and, yeah. and just come into the airfield every now and again. Oh, hi, yeah, and you know, a cup of tea, good. biscuit. Good. But yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, thanks uh, for bit that pip. A bit of good old fashioned Suffolk hospitality. Oh, yeah, yeah. Indeed. Yes, crack, cracking segment as always, Pip. Thanks for that. Yes, don't forget you can uh, catch Pip over on his podcast at the Plane Safety Podcast on iTunes. You can mm-hmm. download him via iTunes. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, you can also hear him on our show each week. Indeed. Hopefully yes. bring us a segment. Indeed. And, uh, of course, at Riyadh. Yeah, and Riyadh. As, as he mentioned. Yeah, sure. don't forget, if you are, if anyone is at Riyadh this year. In the next year, couple of weeks, yeah. In the next couple of weeks. Um, our, me, and, me and Pip will be there on Saturday. Yep. Uh, all day, and uh, Matt will be joining me on all three Sunday. Of us will be there on the on Sunday, Sunday yeah. we, all yeah, three of us will wait. be there, yeah. and you won't be able to miss us because we'll no. have our, our Plain oh. Talking UK t-shirts on, yeah. and we'll yeah. be covered in microphones and cables. <laughs> Absolutely, yes, looking like pack horses <laughs> with all our equipment. But, so we've uh, got some air. Little we bit, have little splattering yes. of air show. Yeah. News. Do you want to do? Do you, do you want to do your? Um, you've got. To, yeah. Uh, I mean, this is a long shot, but if there is anyone. Um, traveling to the island of Malta mm. on the 26th or 27th of September. I'll be attending the Malta International Air Show at Luca Airport in Malta. Yeah, Gemma will be on the beach staying yeah, on the way. My wife from will be, uh, <laughs> yeah, my wife will be at the villa in, by yes. Randapool. <laughs> Quite right, yes. yes. Uh, but I shall be there. Um, I've been uh, very, very uh, kindly invited by um, the 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 guy who administrates all the stuff uh, for the media yeah. for the air show. Invite, he's invited us uh, to the show on Sunday, so mm-hmm. I shall be there. And uh, there's, it says the list of aircraft grows. Mm. Um, the Belgian Air Force are going to be there with C-130H mm. uh, Hercules. Uh, the Belgians are also bringing an F-16. 
the Egyptian Air Force are bringing their K-8E Karkurum aircraft, mm. light attack aircraft. The Greeks are going to be there with a Mirage 2000, two of those. Lovely. From the Hellenic Air Force. The Italians are going to be there with uh, an AB212 and an AW149. Took both of those helicopters. Um, One of the latest additions this week to the lineup at NATO, as in NATO, are going to bring their uh, E3A AWACS. Oh, cool. Um, That's the one with the big rotating dome on top. They're going to be there. Uh, on static display, cool. uh, the Polish get up, get up close. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. The Polish Air Force uh, are bringing a um, three training aircraft and a maritime aircraft, uh, the AN twenty eight and the PZL one thirty Orlik. The Romanian Air Force are bringing their C twenty seven J Spartan mm-hmm. aircraft. We covered just a, mm-hmm. a moment ago. The Swiss Air Force with the P uh, PC seven. Um, with their aeropatic display aircraft. Uh, and also, the United Kingdom Ooh. are sending an Avenger T-1 over on their training aircraft. Cool, cool. Um, and also, the United States are also bringing across a C-130J Super Hercules as well to the show. So what date is that? That's the that's Saturday. That's the 26th, Saturday the 26th, and Sunday the 27th okay. of September. And you're there on the Saturday. I'm there on the Sunday. On the Sunday, yeah, we okay. we fly into Malta on the Saturday. Yeah, okay. And I shall be attending the show on the Sunday. Okay. Well, all being well, what we shall certainly try and do while he's there is we will we will link up with Carl via Skype via Skype, and we'll we'll get as much of the show as we can in in into there. So. Uh... Yeah, that'd be awesome. Good. That'd be good. So as we said, um, obviously we have got React coming up. Uh, yeah, we'll cover that in more detail next week. We're going to do a bit of a, a special uh, on that next oh, week. We definitely um, are. Um, as I say, in the build-up to to the big air show, obviously here in the UK. Um, and uh, what we're going to sort of head on to then, so we concentrate on on the latter part of July, July obviously, because yeah. we've covered the beginning. Uh, already so 18th we've got Shuttleworths uh, that's the best of British evening air show that's at Old Warden Bedfordshire I'd love to fly in there really mm. yeah 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 uh, there's, uh, low, um, we've got 18th and 19th you've got uh, Northcoats Wings and Wheels uh, that's uh, at the Northcoats airfield uh, also on the 18th you've got the Bexhill Roaring Twenties that's the Bexhill on Sea East Suffolk uh, East Sussex sorry and uh, 22nd to the 26th You've got War and Peace Revival. That's at Folkestone Racecourse in Kent. Uh, this new fight, this new five-day military and vintage festival at Folkestone Racecourse RAF. Uh, what is, is it? What West, West, Western Hangar. Western Hangar in Hythe yeah. will be packed full of education and entertainment, bringing the Dunkirk spirit to this historic corner of Kent. Um, so we've got Battle of Britain Memorial flight confirmed so far, um, but they're hopefully going to be adding to that uh, uh, that list um, as as we reach the uh, the the twenty second. So. On the twenty fifth of July, mm. uh, Scotland's National Air Show. Um, that's at the Museum of Flight in East Fortune, East Lothian, mm. uh, and there is a huge list of participating aircraft there, including the Red Arrows and uh, some Typhoons. Mm. Um, some Augusta Westland, the Wildcat team are going to be there. Uh, also the Bristol Blenheim, uh, Beef 25 Mitchell, the Royal Naval Hos- uh, Historic Flight, Fairy Swordfish, uh, Curtis P40 Kitty Hawk, mm. and loads. And the Trig Aerobatic Display team as well are going to be there, which will be awesome to see cool. those. Yeah. 
Um, on the thirtieth is one of the one of the really good ones this year as well. Is the Royal Naval Air Services Coldros Air Day in mm. Cornwall? And I'd love to go there, but that's a yeah. little, that's just so Quite too a, far yeah. to go. Mm. Uh, but that's in Cornwall. Uh, he on says the 30th, to Malta for one. Okay. <laughs> But there again, there is a massive list of participating mm. aircraft uh, there. Um, uh, if yeah, you've got, got the Chinook here, haven't we? Just yeah. pick out some of the highlights here. Black cats there, there as well. Um, got swordfish. Um, where else? Seeking Western Seeking as well. Yeah, you've got that. Yeah, which is I don't know how much longer we'll see those flying. Mm. So, so worth catching. We've got the Nat Display Team as well. Um, there's going to be some awesome F-18 Sea Hornets mm. there McDonald Douglas F-18 mm. yeah, that's brilliant. a hell of a list isn't it it's yeah, going to be a good yeah, show it's going to be a really good show yeah. that was really good I think last year that was, that was uh, David Harris I think went to that one last Indeed. year and right at the very very end of the month which I, I would love to go to and I've never yet been able to get tickets for perhaps we'll have to contact them and see but uh, if you've ever listened to Radio 2 as I often do you've probably come across Car Fest which is the Chris Evans thing they do a Car Fest north and south but uh, that I mean it's, it's sort of cars, music, food and Masses of family fun, also and flying displays, and flying displays as mm. well. So uh, you've got uh, the Strike Master uh, Mark uh, MK eighty two A's there flying there. And we've got the old Buckers uh, as well. They're going to be there too. So it's um, yeah, it's a busy busy old month. So July is the real so July and August are the real highlights, aren't they? It's uh, busy. Um, busy. Don't forget thirty first uh, to the second of August as well. You've got the Gloucestershire Steam and Vintage Extravaganza, um, and you've got uh, one Pitts Special. Uh, being flown by the lovely Lauren Richardson, who, uh, as I'm sure you remember, our interview with her, she's uh, definitely worth uh, catching if you're there. So, yeah. That's... So, quick shout out then to a few of the listeners mm-hmm. on Facebook. Um, obviously, as always, hello to Daniel Hannington and uh, hello to David Harris as well. Uh, I know David Harris is uh, is eagerly waiting for this show to be released. Oh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, David's one of our contributors on facebook he uh, posts quite a bit of uh, interesting news on facebook so mm. look out for david harris on there and philip davis as well hello to you and uh, also one of uh, one of our uh, very very much contributing um, listeners on the messages on facebook is ray davis mm. and ray sent us a, a load of videos this week um, via the message on facebook um, one of which is a uh, Matt Hall Racing one uh, with the Red Bull Air Race. Mm. A really good video that you sent us on there. So hello to you, Ray, as well. Yeah. So contacting the show. Uh, you can do that in several ways, obviously. Facebook.com forward slash Plain Talking UK. Twitter, it's twitter.com forward slash Plain Talking UK. And the website is www.plaintalkinguk.com. That's plain spelt P L A N E. Yeah, so that's it. Then we're going to bring episode number 67 yeah. to a close of the Plain Talking UK yeah, podcast. The big highlight next week, obviously, is is preparing for the oh, excitement that is Riyadh, which we've been looking forward to for ages. So can't I've, I've been say. busy all week getting all my cables yes. ready and my yeah. recorder and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we're going to do We're going to do a bit of a special on that next week, uh, as well as your usual rundown oh, of yeah. weekly yeah. news. Um, but uh, yeah, that's so keep the it. feedback and send us some feedback in. Send do. us, yeah, send us some bits and pieces in. We love it. So from a very rainy, damp, moist, <laughs> overcast. Still not very cool yet, though. Sadly, Bungie in yeah. Suffolk. It's goodbye from Matt and from me, Carlos. It's a. I'm going to have a very relaxing Sunday mm. afternoon. Goodbye from me. Goodbye. Bye.